Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Well, we are continuing our series on the Word of God, and we're preparing our hearts for us to begin to go through the Bible in a year starting in March. And I, I can't tell you how many people have been like, can we start already? Good grief. Why we got to wait till March? Um, but part of it is we want to, I'm building some anticipation, and, I'm, and I want to set the stage for us to, as we get into the Word of God together as a church, as a family, as a body, that we would have the right expectation. Because it's so important, it's not just about reading the Bible, it's about understanding, one, the, the, the truth of the word, the reliability of the word, the, the, the understanding, the historical context of the word. And then also, today I want to talk about really the heart of God of the word. And I think it's so important that we come to it and understand it because we have many ideas about who God is in the Word of God. And we're going to be confronted with many things as we walk through the Old Testament, as we walk through the the pictures of of Jesus or the silhouette of Jesus that we're going to find as we see him on on, in in the desert and we see him with the children of Israel. We see him at at Noah's Ark. We see him in the garden. And what does this have to do with us? And then we see these these things happening within the Old Testament where we're whole people groups would be wiped out and killed and you start to think who is this God that we're reading about so today I just want to take a moment and share with you some words about the father's love as you come to scriptures it's important you understand the father's love you understand who is this father that we are reading that we're participating in as I was preparing this, I, I was just remembering of the, the great humbling privilege of hearing the words from my wife, Cheryl, for the first time in December of 2002, Jason, I'm pregnant. It was shocking. It was exciting. Then again, in May of 2003, about Jason, I'm pregnant. And both times, it's the reality of joy and fear and responsibility of being a father. Kind of feels overwhelming because we were young. I thought, oh, I got this. Yeah, this is no problem because I was a little punk. But then I realized quickly, oh, my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. That's the that's deal about parenting, right? When you think you know what you're doing, they're gone. You're like, well, never mind. But you quickly come to grips that you are inadequate. There's the the reality of my own shortcomings as a father that stared me in the face, the selfishness, the my flaws. And so it continued to remind me that though I'm a father and desire to be a perfect father, it's impossible. It's impossible for any father to be a perfect father. Not going to happen. So for me to be what I know my son and my daughter deserve, even though if I try my very best to love them perfectly, I'm going to have to come to the truth and to the grips that I cannot love them perfectly. I cannot meet their, all their needs 
as a father because I'm not perfect. I can't give what I don't have. The best that I can do for them as a, as a father is ask for their forgiveness when I don't love them perfectly, when I don't treat them the way that they deserve, when I don't emulate Jesus to them. The greatest thing I could do for them as a father is remind them that anything good that they receive from me is not me. It is by the grace of God. The greatest thing I could do for my children as a father is point them to their heavenly father that will meet their every need, that will be there when I cannot be, that will be comfort for them when I don't serve them the best way. I will tell you this, the worst thing, the worst thing I could tell my son and my daughter is that the father or father God of the Bible is just like me. It's the worst thing I could tell him. The worst thing I could imprint on my children's hearts is that God is very much like your father in front of you. And the reason it, was, it would be the worst thing is because of this. What we think about God, what we think about the God of the Bible is the most influential thought that we have in our lives when we come to the word of God. If we have a humanly distorted view of God, which many of us do, if we allow the world around us or the experience of our lives or the disappointment or, or, a, or a, an earthly father to shape our view of the God of the Bible, we're gonna have a really hard time receiving from God over this next year as we come to the word of God. But I will tell you this, if we allow the scriptures, if we allow the truth and the anointing of, of the spirit in the word of God to shape our view of God, then it will allow us to embrace everything that he has for us. And we will live differently than those who don't know him. We will see differently if we come to the scriptures and allow the word of God to shape and tell us what the Father's love is actually like. A.W. Tozer said this, what our minds think about God is the most important thing about us. I'm gonna say that again. What our minds think about God is the most important thing about us. And I believe God wants you to see him the way that he is. I believe that God wants you to see his love the way that it is. One of the main motivations for us as a church to spend a year in scripture together, one, for us as a family to be walking a spiritual journey together throughout the week and then when we come together, it's gonna to be a tremendous time. But another reason is to untangle the views that we have about God that hold us back that, that are hindrances to us, that, that keep us from climbing up on the, the summit of who our God is and see the Father the way he is and then live from that view. The truth is this, most of us live from a view of God that is actually not a complete view of God or a wrong view of God. Over the years, there, there's been a, a theological pendulum that has swung within the church. 
It's, ex- it's, it's swung from extremes regarding the love of the Father or the love of God. And the church has lost its anchor. And there have been, there have been times when it's been way over here and it's been way over here. It's lost the proper view of Father God, who he is. Not because they did it deliberately. Not because it was what they wanted to do. But it was because they drifted from the reality and the truths and the teachings of the Bible. They created a God that they articulated themselves And then after they articulated the God that they wanted, they then went through and edited the scriptures to fit their God. How many know that's going to be a problem? I'm going to read you another quote from A.W. Tozer that really kind of speaks to probably where we are today. And this is such a powerful thing. I just want you to Let these words ring out in your spirit today. He says, the church has surrendered her once lofty concept of God and has substituted it for one so low, so ignoble, as to be utterly unworthy of thinking, worshiping men. With our loss of the sense of majesty has come the further loss of religious awe and consciousness of the divine presence. We have lost our spirit of worship and our ability to withdraw inwardly to meet God in adorning silence. What he is speaking about here is that people have lost the proper understanding of who God is. And it has allowed the pendulum to swing to one side or the other. And as we come to the scriptures this year, I want us to see God for who he is. I want want God to speak to us from his word on who he is and the God that we're engaging with. That we would know that that the God of the Bible isn't, isn't like a Santa Claus. He's not a wishing well. He's not like a, 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 a grandfather, which many people have this idea that he's like a, a grandfather that's a good storyteller and who dozes off to sleep after a, a good meal. And when you leave, he hands you $2 bills and some spare change to buy some candy. That's not the God of the Bible. He's not our bro. He's not our homie. He's not our pawpaw. He's the great I am. The God of the Bible is the God of creation. He's the first and he's the last. He's the beginning and he's the end. Before the universe was, he already was. He has no weakness, he has no shortcomings. Nothing he does is ever wrong. He is all powerful, he is all knowing, he is all loving, he is abounding in love, he is slow to anger, 
He's the gatherer of the broken humanity, which includes all of us. He's the healer of the broken hearts. He's the holy one. And he stands and invites every human being on the face of the planet to be his child. And here's the crazy thing, to be like him. The God of the Bible doesn't demand worship. But if you view him and hold him and gaze upon him and his beauty and his majesty and his kindness and his mercy and his power and his justice and his holiness, as you see him correctly in the light of the scriptures over this next year, it will provoke you either two responses, either reject him or bow and worship and receive the satisfaction of his love for your life as a father. That's the God that we're coming to. So how does the Bible describe God as our Father? As I said earlier, there are these pendulums that have swung throughout church history. One pendulum is that God is all grace, all love, and he doesn't matter what you do. Nothing you do grieves him. You can do whatever you want and live however you want. And he's like, it's okay because I love you. Because there is this understanding of what we've heard a lot about who God is. And we hear it a lot from 1 John chapter 4. And it's a statement about God. And, and this is what 1 John 4, 8 says. John writes, God is love. That God is love. Say this with me. God is love. Now it's important for us to understand if God is love, then he's the one who defines it. So we say God is and we take that word and then we put our understanding of what love is. Well, that means he's this and that means he's this and that. But who holds the authority to define what God said he is. He is love. Only God does. That means, though, for us today that as he defines it and as we see it, and we're going to see it today, that means that God is love. and means everything that God does is done in love. Everything. Everybody say everything. So everything that God does is done in love. It's his motivation. It's his heart. It's, his, it's, it's from who he is. He is love. He doesn't love people. No, he is love. And therefore, that manifestation impacts people. Earlier in 1 John, there's another statement about God that many times we, we, we don't connect. It's another three-word statement. 1 John 1.5 says that God is light. And then as the scripture goes on, this is what it says. Now, hear me today. It goes on to say this. And in him, there is no darkness. So God is love and God is light. And in him, there is no darkness. God is love and God is light. This is the God of the Bible. The God of love that we're going to see and discover, but also he's the God of light. 
And we need to understand these things about the characteristics of God. It brings, that the love of God brings the light of God to show, and that light is the, is, the, is the showing of God's love, that we need to know this, that there is no dark in God. There is no sin. There is no unholiness in God. There is no, it's, he is not unpure. There is nothing about him that is unpure. He is not unjust. He is holy. He is pure. He is just. He is perfect. He is not mean. He is not cranky. His love is consistent. He is not impatient. He is not vindictive. He does not retaliate. He is love. So as we come to the scriptures over this next year, you need to understand this, that God is love and God is light. God is love and God is holy. God is love and God is just. God is love And God is righteous. And as we read through the scriptures, we're going to see both of these natures. And unless you understand who your father is, you're not going to receive everything that he has for you. But what has happened over the years is many have separated those two attributes of love and light and holiness. And the truth is this. Yes, God. God is love, God is also holy, he's just, he's pure. He does not tolerate darkness or sin. He never says, because I am love, sin and darkness are okay. He never says that. Though the modern church has tried to do that, it's tried to separate these two attributes. And what has happened over the years is that these two attributes are often siloed and used to describe the God that we want. The God that either gives us power or the God that either makes us accepted. And God is love that, that what we would say, and because of that, God doesn't care that you live in darkness. God doesn't care that his children live in darkness. What father would be because I am love, I don't care that you're doing something that's destroying your life. If you had a friend in your life who was a father and his, that father's child was destroying their life with darkness and sin, it was corrupting them. And he's like, but I love them, so I don't really care if they do that. No, no, no. Love actually demands that you care. It demands that you show up. It demands that you say, listen, son, you're living in my house because I care you're destroying yourself. You're not leaving my house. You're grounded. Or because you're, you're entrapped into this or to that, then I'm gonna make a decision to remove some freedoms from you so that you will not destroy yourself. That's called what? A good father, amen? A lazy, no good, weak father doesn't care that his children are destroying themselves with their choices.
God is love, and love cares. Love cares about if you're doing something that's destroying your life. But in this pendulum over the years, we've, we've said either God, sin doesn't grieve God, or the other side is because God is light, because God is holy. Now this would have been probably the tradition I grew up in, the second one, because God is light and he is holy. If you sin, then he cuts you off immediately. He is waiting for the moment to flick you like a, like a fly on a table into the flames of hell while he giggles and grins as you burn. And we created that God because, see, the Bible says God is holy. It does say that. But the problem is that you cannot separate God's love from his other attributes. You cannot view any of, the God, any of Father God's attributes without remembering God's love. God disciplines, as Hebrew says, because he loves. He is just because he is loving. What we believe about God's love will impact everything about our lives. As you come to the scriptures this year, what you believe about God will impact how you read his scriptures. There is, there's an account of Moses. And he's speaking to the people of Israel. And so again, it's this, it's this idea of God is love and God is light. But we need to understand that, you, again, you can't separate God's attributes from love. Love is, because of love, then he is just, he is holy, he is righteous. But I want you to experience today this understanding of God's love, his commitment to you. And so Moses is talking to the children of Israel. They have been wandering in the wilderness. They are on the verge of stepping into the promised land. They had been delivered from, from slavery. And Moses gives this incredible message from the Lord. Deuteronomy 7, he says, from God, for you are a people, holy to the Lord your God. Then Moses says, the Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. And then it goes on to say this. The Lord did not set his affection on you and chose you because you were, now listen, you were more numerous than other people. So just listen to this. He goes, oh, let me tell you why I love you. The Lord did not set his affection on you, Moses tells, tells them, and choose you because you were more numerous than other people. For you were the fewest, actually, of all the people. You were the littlest. You were, you were the least impressive out of all the people. But it was because the Lord, everybody say the Lord. So Moses says, it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you 
out with a mighty hand and remembered you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. I love this. He says, you, you my people, God loves you because you're chosen and you're, you're, ho you're, you're holy because God has made you holy. You're his treasured possession. And let me tell you, it has nothing to do with you. There is this statement now of unconditional love. And this is something about God's love that, that many of us wrestle with. You first have the first pendulum. We're like, God is grace and doesn't care what I do. And the other one is God is holy and, and just wants to beat me up. He's waiting for the moment to get me. All of us in this room, because of maybe our upbringing, need to justify why God would love us. If I was to say to you, why does God love you? Well, his son Jesus, and you know, I, I strive to live for him, and okay. But the best answer that you could give if I were to ask you that question is this, because he does. So why does God love you? Well, because he does. Because he chose to love me. But, but why? What did you do? How did you? Nothing. Were you impressive? Nope. Did you have a good reputation that he could leverage for his name? Uh, no. Were you really smart? Is that what? No. Why does God love you? Because he does. That blows our minds. That's not the world that we live in. Well, do you deserve it then? Do you, no, I don't deserve it, actually. I actually deserve the worst, but according to the Bible, God provided the best for me. His son. There's this other passage that speaks of God's love as we walk through the Bible this year. That speaks of his choice, his unconditional love. And the reason why we can read these passages of, of the Old Testament is because we through Christ, have been grafted into the family of God. And these promises demonstrate who God is to us today. So Jeremiah is, Jeremiah 31, and this is the word of the Lord. It says, the Lord appeared to him, you could put in there Israel from afar. This is what he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. So with an everlasting love, God loves you. With an everlasting love, God has chosen you. Why did you even, why, why did God reveal to you that you needed him? Because he loves you. You can say, no, but I knew I needed God. No, you didn't. You didn't have anything within you who could actually discern from sin or righteousness because you were, you were a slave to sin. You had no choices. And then God in his love revealed to you through his Holy Spirit that you need him. He called you. He chose you. And then you responded to him calling you. Some of, some of us come to the scriptures and, and, and we only see God as a disciplinary, whose job is to punish, to judge, to condemn. At any moment, he could turn on you if you don't keep him happy. We see God like the, like the God of the ancient gods where if we offer this and he, he doesn't kill me, then 
is good. But uh-oh, I should either offer more because I don't want to give him what I gave him before because if it's not enough, then he's, so you offer more and then something happens in your life. Your car breaks down. Oh, God's mad at me. I didn't give him enough. You get a diagnosis, oh no, it's because I didn't please God here. I need to give him more. And so the God that we create is a God that demands more, 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 more. But God says, no, no. I love you because I do. Many of us, as we come to the scriptures, maybe it's too much to bear for you. Because what if your wrong idea of God, that he is out to get you, what if reading the Bible proves you right? I would invite you this year to engage in scriptures and to see God for what his word says he is. The truth is this, that many of you have never experienced unconditional love before. Your upbringing was you were loved and paid attention to when you performed well, when you ticked the box of the person that you wanted loving from. And when you performed well, you felt like, yes, finally, I'm worthy to be loved. But when you didn't, you received distance, shame, rejection, ridicule, demoralizing. And then when you came back into a line again, and you did, and you performed, and you jumped through the hoops, and you were perfect, then you were loved. Your life consisted of doing and performing to make sure a parent, a guardian, a spouse, can say something or give some head nod or some, some token of love and acceptance that you are loved. But you know that it was only because you acted the right way. You acted the part so they could love you. Friends, listen to me. That is not God. God unconditionally loves you. Now think about this. Think of the worst moment when you aren't lovely. Think of the worst moment when you aren't acting lovable. When you're ashamed of your actions, of your attitude, of your pride, of your stiff-neckedness, of your flesh. And in that moment, when you don't love yourself, you hate yourself, God would slip you a little note. And as you open it, it would say, I love you. And many would read it and respond, why, God, why? And he'd slip you another one, and it would say, because I do. One of the most significant moments in my spiritual journey is when a youth pastor named Gil Otterburn 
in Paducah, Kentucky, knowing that I grew up in a church tradition that was more legalistic. He explained to me God's love and explained to me that God loved me regardless of my performance. And because I grew up in a church tradition that, that didn't necessarily preach God wasn't very nice. It was taught that because of how the church leadership presented God sometimes through their actions and love and non-love for others. But when I heard that God loved me, regardless of my performance, it propelled me not to go off and finally I can go and do whatever I want. No, it humbled me to run full head ahead to my God who would love me and accept me and give me a life that's worth living. That's what it made me do. The one who knows you the most today or knows you the best, loves you the most. I was in Pagasenan, Philippines several years ago and I was doing a, a youth, like a three-day youth thing with them and it was amazing and I just loved it and I was preaching on God's love and I wanted them to understand it but it wasn't connecting. I didn't know if it was culturally, I don't know if it was me. I, don't, I mean, I was a lot younger so I, I, it, was, it probably was a terrible message and you know, wouldn't connect with anybody. But I was trying and I was, I was just leaning in and trying to do it this way or that way. And I shifted from talking about God loving them. And I started saying this, and he likes you. Everybody think, wait, God loves me. Yes, no, 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 but he likes you. He wants to be with you. He likes to be around you. He likes to talk with you. He likes to spend time with you. A lot of times we see God's love from this upper world of like his love. I love you. But no, no. He likes you. He likes to laugh with you. He likes to be with you. He, he likes you. And when I began to speak that idea, it began to pulse across this beautiful faces of those young people there. And it, they began to, to be impacted, began to like smile and look around. And, and it was like this, the Holy Spirit just began to move and, and it began to, some people were crying, some people were, were rejoicing and, and, I, I, and it just happened. I didn't, it just kept moving and moving and moving and moving. And I, I kept speaking into it and we ended that, I, that, that spontaneous eruption of all of the young people chanting, God likes me. God likes me. God likes me. With tears streaming down their face, God likes me. God likes me. He loves you. And he likes you. Family, listen, as you come to the pages of this book, you must remember that God is 
love. And that is why the story of the scripture is so powerful. He chose to love you. He chose to make a way for you. When you, I, I want to encourage you, when you lay your head on the pillow at night, tonight, listen for his voice that says, daughter, I love you and I like you. Son, I love you and I like you. Whether you believe it or not, it's true. Then we go to John chapter 3. Speaking of the God of the Bible, it says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, this is Jesus speaking, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that who, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now listen, listen. How much does God love you? For God so loved the world. Parents, listen, listen. Mom, dad, listen. God so loved the world that he gave his son for the world. That's not a mamsy pamsy love. That's a love. God so loved us and wanted us in relationship with him. He knew our hopelessness. He knew our baggage. He knew our filth. He knew our secrets. Why would he do that? If we knew the secrets of the people in this room, scandal would move across our life like a disease. God knows it. God knows your secrets. And he doesn't regret putting his son on the cross for you because he loves you. Paul articulates the condition of all people in need of Jesus. You might be thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty decent, Jason. I'm, I'm good. Yeah, I've been walking with Jesus for a long time. You know, I, I'm, I'm pretty close to Jesus' image right now. So, I, you know, listen, listen. You need to understand. I don't care where you are, whether you don't know him or do know him. You need to understand your condition without God. Paul is writing... And he's talking about the need for Jesus. This is the context, including his people as a Jew. And he says this, are we Jews any better off? He's talking about himself. No, not at all. For we have already charged, excuse me, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin as it is written. Now listen, none is righteous. No, not one. Now, this, this, this is describing us. This is describing us, our condition. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their tongue. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Doesn't that sound like a good group of people? That's you. That's me. 
This is us. This is our horrific reality. We are finished. We're not seeking God. We're not, listen, don't tell me that you're seeking God. The only reason you're seeking God is because God loved you and gave you the ability to seek him. It's by his grace, through his grace. All of us have turned away from God. Nothing is good. All of us want to satisfy our flesh. All of us want our tongues to speak deceiving and manipulation and bitterness and cursing. And all of our feet are covered in blood from the victim of our attitudes and our spirits and our mouths and our carnal flesh. That's the backdrop of the Bible, that passage. That's us. And then Paul, after articulating who we are as a sinner, says this, God shows his love for us and while we were still sinners, The throat, the bloody feet, the nastiness of our lives, the carnal pleasure, the, the destruction of our behaviors, the heart that wants to do its own thing and rebel from God and be, be our own God, the heart that doesn't seek God, the heart that is hardened and, and rejecting anything that is righteous. We don't even know what is righteous. That person. us. God shows his love for us that while we were that way, Christ died for us. Why would God do that? So that whoever believes in him would not perish, but will become a part of his family and have eternal life. Friends, that is the God of the Bible. That's the God of the Bible. As you come to the scriptures, don't take them out of context. Don't take them. Listen, this is, this, is a, this is a story that speaks of God's love and his justice and his righteousness and his holiness and his mercy. It speaks of his vengeance against sin. It speaks of all of that. But the backdrop is wild. We were sinners. Christ died for us. Everything, the throat, the, the rebellion, the lust, the murder in our hearts, the bitterness, the broken relationships, the anger, the pride of never admitting we're wrong. While you were like that, God died for you. He sent his son so that he could rescue you for the kingdom of darkness and bring you into the kingdom of his light. I want you to understand the Father's love and engage in his story. It's gonna be a blast. And God's gonna to minister to many of us as we take these steps forward. Let's pray. Father, we commit this time to you and we thank you for your mercy. 
We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your love. Lord, we're grateful today for your love. And Lord, today I ask you that that reality of your love recognizes you care deeply how we live our lives because you care about our well-being. You care deeply about how we interact with one another in our own lives. You care so much you gave us a book that says, I invite you to follow this to live the life that's actually the life to the fullest. And you gave us your spirit to guide us and to lead us. And we're so grateful for that. But Lord, we also are grateful that you love us because you do. And so Lord, today may we be overwhelmed with your love, with your kindness, May we leave here today with a different view of you if it was wrong, a view of who you are. That you call us, you love us, you call us to be holy, and yet you never give up on us. So Lord, I pray that you would minister to your people today. I pray that you would minister to the broken hearts who have never felt unconditional love. I pray that you would minister to those who are riddled with failure of their past, but you could lift their head and look them straight in the eye and say, son, I love you. Come on, follow me. Lord, we give you our lives and we give you our families, we give you our futures, we give you our now, we give you all that we are and we submit it and embrace the love of the Father. And we thank you for your goodness. Just remain with your heads bowed for a moment. If you're here today and you would say, I don't know Jesus. And I realize that that's me. I'm rebelling. I'm doing my own thing. I'm satisfying my flesh. I, I am absolutely. I even believe today with your heads bowed, some of you are here today and you've been You've been walking under the title of Christian, but you know that you are not living a life that is Christ-like. And the love of God has propelled you to come to Him and to give you and to give Him your life fully. Nobody's looking around. If that's you today and you want to recommit your life to Jesus because you were living outside of his purpose for you. Just raise your hand right now, right where you are. Nobody's looking around. Amen, 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 amen. Bless you, bless you, bless you. Bless you. Hands all over. You can put your hands down. God bless you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And also if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus and you want to just commit and verbally affirm that you are coming to alignment with his purposes in your life, you pray this as well. And so church, let's all pray it together. Father God, thank you for sending your son for me. I give you my life today. I recommit my life to you. Forgive me 
cleanse me. Give me a new start. May you heal my mind. May you quiet my fleshly impulses. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving me a new start. My life belongs to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a hand today. Thank you, Jesus. If you gave your life to Jesus today or you recommitted your life to Jesus, let me just ask you to take a, a step forward and you can, there's a, a QR code on the back of your chair there. You can snap that and you can give us your information so we can help you on the journey. Also, if you would like prayer at the end of service, our prayer team is here to pray with you. If you gave your life to Jesus or recommitted your life, they would love to meet you and pray with you. Let's all stand to our feet. I would love to pray a blessing of, of pray a prayer of blessing over you today. If you can, just lift your hands to the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, I bless your people. May you sustain them, prosper them, lead them, guide them, heal their relationships. May they leave here today knowing that you love them because you do. And may that melt away any religious idea, any performance, any legalism, any rebellion in all of us, God. May we leave here today embracing who you are and may we apply that love to the other areas of our life. And as we do, Lord, may you prosper us, may you lead us, may you guide us, may you provide for us, may you financially open doors, may you promote your people because they have chosen to choose your love and to come under your love. May you lead them and guide them in all of their ways. In Jesus' name, we all say amen. amen.